want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Did you know that God has a kingdom? He does. And sometimes it just feels like, where on earth is God? What is God doing? And where do we stand in the grand scheme of things of what's taking place? It's interesting when polling people these days that many Americans, matter of fact, the majority of Americans these days are saying, we don't recognize our country anymore. There's been so much change that people are kind of, there's a real unsettling spirit out there. But you know, for believers, we're never really supposed to settle anyway, because this is not our home. This is not our place. Even though it's nice to be comfortable where you're planted and where you're placed, it's so very important for Christians to understand that really we're called to be a bar, part of something so much bigger, something more real, something that is more everlasting, and it's called the kingdom of God. So let me ask you a question this morning. Why is the church here? Common answers are fellowship, encouragement, that we would worship together, teaching so we can hear the Bible taught we can pray for one another. We can have safe events. Hallelujah. We can come together in family ways and the ways that we do and provide. Grateful for a building that we have that we can kind of gather and do things and property that we can have some events. Help me help you become a better Christian. These are the common answers that I'm sharing with you, what most people have shared, for studying the Bible, Bible study, small groups, and a good place to just bring my kids. That my know, I know my kids are going to be loved on. And so these are, again, these are common answers. But I want you to hold, and maybe and there's many more. Maybe you've got some ideas. But I want you to hold that thought. We're going to come back to it at the end of this teaching this morning. But So before we get to that, let me ask you another question. Who is in control of the earth? Who is in control of, of mankind? There seems to be two opposing views in Scripture. When we study the Bible... You get two different perspectives, and it's important for us to understand both of them. Number one, it appears that Satan is in control. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Let me just read it here in the NIV. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, who's that? That's Satan himself. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. There's a, there's a blindness upon them, and he's actively doing it. In Galatians chapter 3, 22, it says that uh, the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There's a prisoner system going on. 1 John 5, 19, it says, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is Bible. New Testament, as a matter of fact. See, during the temptation of Jesus, Jesus himself did not dispute Satan when he offered him to give him, offered to give him the kingdoms of the earth. Remember that? Puts him on, he says, look at all the kingdoms and he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will, they will be yours. Now, if that were not true, you, you would think that Jesus would stop him right there and just say, stop. 
My dad created this. It's not yours. We created this, and it's not yours. But he didn't rebuke him because what Satan was telling him had some partial truth. And that part that Satan was telling him is that it did belong to him because who gave it away? We did. That's right. That's, that's, that's thinking theologically. We know there was Adam and Eve, and they did it on our behalf, didn't they? They gave it away. And so as a result, we inherited nothing. We were supposed to inherit it as a result of Adam and Eve having been given to them, remember? But, and of course, we just did a study, and so this is going to be some neat uh, tying some things together for us. So all of these verses in the New Testament, and, and again, they're in the New Testament. So you can't say it was old stuff that changed at the cross. This is something that, that apostles and teachers are telling us is true, okay? But there's now an opposing view, and let's look what it says in Scripture. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now it's kind of starting to feel a little better, isn't it? Yeah. But that's what it, that is what it declares. The earth is the Lord's. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. So God is declaring this prophetically, that it is his. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 2, 7 and 8. says this. You guys going to that? Psalm 2? Trying to read. There we go. I will pro- proclaim the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That is awesome right there. It says, you will rule them. Go on to the next verse there. <clears throat> it says, you will rule them with an iron scepter, and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Pretty awesome prophecies, isn't it? Or aren't they? <clears throat> so which one is it? Who is really in control? Is it Satan, or is it God? So let me explain and so that we understand what we're talking about. See, God as the supreme creator and the alpha and omega created the world and mankind. Amen? That's not disputed. We've studied this. He ruled over man and the earth. We see in scripture that he gave control and authority of the earth to mankind through Adam and Eve. So let's read Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28 uh, to just review this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. You see what's taking place here? God says, this is mine. I made it, but I'm going to give the rule of it to man. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Okay? Powerful stuff. Let's just move on to the next verse there. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God blessed them in that endeavor, right? 
He says, increase in number. Fill the earth. He didn't say just partially fill it. He said fill it. Fill it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Okay? So let me tell you some of the meaning of these words. We, just are, we are clear as to what God is really telling Adam and Eve to do. First of all, there's that word subdue. In Hebrew, it is kabash. When you talk about kaboshing someone, man, I like that word. You know, in football, you kabash, you know, when you get out there. You subdue, kabash. You exercise dominion to force things that don't willingly submit to you to submit to you, to bring it into subjection. That's what God has called us to do over the earth. Another uh, phrase or, or set of words here is to rule over, and that is rada, okay? And that means to take dominion over the sphere that you already have. So you may have been given something. Like for me as a father, I am given the rule of my family. That is not disputed, although there are some who would say, no, they're not your family. But God says, no, they are. They're, they're, they're my responsibility, and God has given me spiritual rule over my family. And to take dominion and when, to radah, to walk and, and to radah in this authority over my family would be to take the sphere that's already mine, okay? But it's interesting, when you think of what God is telling Adam and Eve, I thought it was a perfect place, didn't you? No problems. I mean, there's been no fall yet. There's been no sin yet. But God is saying you need to subdue it. Hmm. No problems. They had all authority over the animals and the earth, and God was with them, and, and there was no sin. So why would God tell them to subdue everything and rule over it if they already had authority over everything. So what is God doing there? What wouldn't submit to them? Think about it. Adam named all the animals. There was already this sense of peaceful connection with with creation. But God was looking ahead and saying, you're going to have to exercise kabash and radah. You're going to have to do something. So what was it? that God was giving them a heads up about. Yeah, you're following me. God was warning them of what was to come. He knew that there was a being who would not willingly submit to them. He was letting them know that when they came across this being, that they had the power to subdue him and rule over him. That's good, isn't it? Who was this being and how did we know? You've already said it. And God knew he was there. And how do we know that God knew that this being would approach Adam and Eve? Well, look in Ezekiel chapter 28, 12 through 17. We'll read through this as quickly as we can. You guys follow me as I go. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection. Now, I want to say this. He's, before we get into this so that you don't, you're not confused, prophecy often works this way in the Old Testament that it has multiple fulfillment, fulfillments. In other words, uh, Ezekiel is speaking by, God is telling him to speak to the king of Tyre, but there's another king that he's speaking to. And you'll get that flavor as we read it. You're like, whoa, whoa, he's not talking to just an earthly king. Check this out. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Uh-oh, 
king of Tyre wasn't in Eden. The, the garden of God and every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, and chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and surroundings were made of gold, and on the day you were created, you were prepared, or I'm sorry, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. Oh, we're not talking about a king at all. A cherub is only one thing. What is a cherub? It's an angel. That's correct. It's an angel. And for, and for so I ordained you. In other words, God placed this cherub in his place. And he was an awesome cherub. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. No king, Tyre, king of Tyre was hanging out there. This was someone who was in a very, very high place in, in heaven. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Wow. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. Mm -mm. You wanted to know where Satan came from? You want to know how he got to the earth? Do you know, want to know why he got there? It's all there in the prophecy. Okay. Let's also look at Isaiah 14, another major prophet. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You were once laid low. You, I'm sorry, you once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Wow. And I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Mm -mm. See, this is what we see in Scripture, okay? As we put it together, as we get prophetic uh, uh, pictures of what took place before the fall gives us an idea of why we exist, why things had to happen the way they happened. What we find out about Satan himself, or Lucifer as he was once called, the son of the morning star, he still wants to be God. He didn't change. He just was judged and casted on the earth. So when God created man and his man and woman, guess who was there waiting? Mm -hmm. We don't know in the eons of time where, when this took place. We just know it was before. We know that Satan hates God and his intent on stealing his glory and his possession. His desire has not changed. His focus to corrupt and to tear down and to destroy and to deface the creation of God is still his number one priority. And he wants to be God over as many people as possible. He said to himself, I can never fully be God, but I can rule over mankind and the earth if I can convince the crown of God's creation to sin and rebel against God. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't go for animals. He went for God's crowning achievement, his man, his woman, and he deceived them. 
And what took place was more than just sin, though. There was a jurisdictional change. There was a shifting of authority. Kabash was lost. Radah was lost and was given to him. Now, do you get a picture of what really was taking place there? He and creation, saying, and creation would then belong to him. And he's saying to himself, I wouldn't be God over everything, but at least the earth and mankind. He'd stolen that out from under God. So did his plan work? Heck yes, it did. He got Adam and Eve to sin, and all of mankind fell into the hands of Satan. Also, the authority over the earth was now given to Satan. And that's why those scriptures we read earlier are true, that the earth was his legally. So God had two problems that he had to deal with. Number one, he had to redeem fallen mankind. And he promised, as we've already learned as we went through our series, God promised them that he would crush the head of Satan, that the time was coming when God will, would win back. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. Man, did we ever, speaking of Adam and Eve, did we ever make God's you know, existence a real problem? And God says, man, now this is going to take a little while to work out, but we're going to do it. We're going to pull this off. So God had to redeem fallen mankind, okay? Because there's been a jurisdictional change. God honors authority, always will, always did, always will. He honored what took place there. So he's got to pull something out of the bag. He's got to do something in keeping with who he is, his character. So he's got to redeem fallen mankind. Someone's got to pay. There's got to be a price paid for what took place on that day. How's God going to do it? Number two, he's got to restore the universe to its original order. You know, there's a lot of talk about world order. You hear that? Man, is it ever out there. A new world order? Folks, let me just tell you, don't touch it. Not with a 10-foot pole. There's only one world order, and we're getting to it. But restoring the universe to its original order is is another part of God's, uh, it's on his list, taking back what was stolen. Man gave it up. Man must get it back. God, could God have just come and just taken it back? Sure he could. But he would have violated what he had done. Because who did he give it all to? Man. And so he's saying, look, you're going to have to get it back. So how are we going to pull this off? So how does God restore mankind? Well, we know that man can't save himself. We find out that God begins the program of essentially saying, man, now let's see if you can earn this. And we find out that man can't earn it. Can't do it. We can't be God. We cannot be. And so God is now leading them forward to bring them to the end of themselves to show them that there's no way they could ever do it. You, so I'm just speaking uh, as God is speaking to mankind. Saying, you lost this because you forgot about me. You lost this because you tried to live on this earth without me. And as a result, Satan ate your lunch. And he stole what you had. You opened the bag, there was nothing there. And so he's saying, look, I've got to bring you to the end of yourself and show you you cannot do this by yourself. I've given it all to you, but never, without the th- never with the thought that you would do it on your own. So man sinned, and so man must pay. There's a price. If you've, if you've never seen the C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 
or read his whole series, I encourage you to do so. It's a children's story, but it's an allegory of this whole story. C.S. Lewis does a wonderful job on tying all of this together theologically in a way that's just fun to read. With Aslan and the children and all that takes place, they're very, very powerful. Someone had to pay. God sent his son, who was fully man and fully God. So he had the best of what was going to take place there. God pulled out the ultimate trick on Satan by saying, I'm sending my son who is fully man through Mary, right? But fully God because he did not have an earthly father. God was his father. Cool stuff, isn't it? Jesus became a man. But he avoided sin because Adam was not his father. He lived a perfect life and died for us to pay for the penalty of man's sins. Problem solved. It seems like an easy solution, but it wasn't. All of it had to be set set up over time, but it culminated in the wonderful ending, uh, or I guess you could say the beginning, really. The ending, but the beginning of another era of his son coming and dying on the cross for who? For me and you. See, when you think in terms, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I, I just got to give you this so that you, you're set up. Jesus, when he died on the cross, d- did a whole lot more than what we celebrate on Christmas Day. We think that he, comes, he came and my sins are forgiven. Yes, amen. But a whole lot more took place, Christians, that you have yet to understand in its entirety. So how does God restore the universe? its original design and intention. So how how is God going to pull that off? To reflect his glory and for people to begin, the peoples of the earth to begin to lift his name up on high again. For God's intention was to fill the earth and subdue it and really create an Eden over the whole earth to have heaven on earth. Was there an intention to have a new world order? Absolutely. Was it to be a place where every man and woman and child were equal? Absolutely. Was it going to be a place free of pain and suffering and inequality? You know, there was going to be no uh, inequality? Absolutely. But it cannot happen without God. In any attempt to do so, there's another God underneath there trying to make it work, my friends. Do not be deceived. For Satan, it does appear as an angel of light and is deceiving people every single day. Matter of fact, matter of fact, those who are being led by him don't even know they're being led by him. That's how bad the deception goes. Just puppets in the hand of a deceiver using all kinds of language to deceive man. So Jesus came preaching, repent, because God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. No. (laughs) That's not what he came preaching. He didn't come saying, look, I'm going to pay it all so that you can now just live the way you want to. I'm going to die on the cross so that you can have this one big party and you have this abundant life and you just do whatever you want to do. No, that's not what he preached. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He came preaching to say, look, you better turn because I tell you what, this new world order is coming back 
and every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow that Jesus and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He came preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And you know what? Not too many Christians understand what the kingdom of God really is. And that's why I'm preaching this morning. I want to incite you. I want to stir you up. I want to help you understand that, look, when you read the news and what you see going on in the world, you've got to understand that, look, there's a new sheriff in town. There is one who owns this earth now. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, when he said, it is finished, that's what will happen, man. And God says, look, the deed has been transferred. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, he's saying the time has come for my father to make things right. So he's walking around. People didn't understand what he was even saying. They just were there for the bread. They were just there for the fish. Or for a healing. They show up, they've got, they've got this cut. Jesus, you think, you, think, you think you can help me out with that? Zap. Oh, thank you. Go back to doing whatever I want to do. Man, I tell you what, that's the way most Christians live today, is it's just about what I can get, what I can do. But God is saying it's much bigger than that. God wants to give us a whole lot more than just that. The plan has been initiated to take back control of mankind and the earth and to destroy the works of the devil. That's exactly what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he erased the stench of Satan. Everywhere he went, the handprint, the sticky, nasty, gnarly handprint of Satan was erased. He cast out demons. Why would he do that? I mean, what point is casting out demons except that when the kingdom of God shows up, there is a battle between darkness and light. And light was winning every single time. God says, I'm here. I've showed up, and I'm in the form of a man because both things are being fulfilled. I mean, you guys following this? Both parts of what God was after are being fulfilled in one man, which is why Paul spends all this time talking about that in Colossians, to say it is so key that when Jesus came in the way that he came, because now he represents mankind as a man. That was God's intention all along. And then fully God. To say, to be able to look at Satan in every bit of his work and say, no, no. I mean, remember when the demons and all the pigs and, and, and you know, I mean, in the, the Gadarene demoniac, they knew Jesus immediately. They knew him. They never met the guy before. Why did they know him? They knew him all the way back. When he got kicked out of heaven, those demons are going, oh, no, not you again. And they're like, please don't send us out into the, into the darkness. Please don't send us out into the expanse. It's cold. It's nasty out there. He goes, man, no, I'm sending you there. But even, it's amazing. He's like, well, where do you want me to send you? Those pigs over there. Send us into the pigs. He says, go. They get in the pigs. They don't last there long. Jesus knew that. To hell you are from and to hell you will go. Into the expanse where you were kicked out. I love it, man. I want you to read the New Testament from the perspective I'm sharing with you this morning, and it's going to open up. 
See, a lot of times we just say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What can I get today? And God's just saying, no, man, I, I want you to see the picture of what really took place. Let's get moving here. Daniel 2.44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. He's prophesying. Daniel, you know, Daniel saw our times. The only prophet really to do so. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. Man, what was Daniel seeing? Wasn't certainly any earthly kingdom that we know of. He was seeing the kingdom that was initiated on that day. So he said, repent, get right with God for his kingdom, his rule and his reign is coming and you better be on the right side of the battle lines. That's what Jesus was saying. The divine overthrow, the revolution had begun. Jesus came to the earth to usher in God's kingdom and take back, back what was stolen. And what was that? That's mainly people and the earth, human beings, you and me. Does it make you a lot more grateful to know what Jesus was really doing his main message was not salvation. It was the kingdom. Salvation came from the kingdom. But it was the kingdom of God is what he was preaching. Salvation is how you enter the kingdom. But there's so much more. The kingdom of God or its equivalent is used 146 times in the New Testament. No small theological truth. When you go to Bible college or seminary, if you go to the right one, that is, there's a book or several books on the kingdom of God, and it's that thick. That's a whole class. You go through systematic theology, one, two, and three, and you get into hermeneutics, homiletics, you get into all that, and then you get to the kingdom of God, which ties it all together. Critical to, unport, and to understand. The kingdom of God, what is it? It's the rule of God on the earth. God's kingdom is not just in the heavenlies. It's here on this earth. God made it. He wanted it back. And he got it back. And restoring order to creation, man being the crown. The kingdoms of the world are under satanic control. They were, and they still are. So now I'm really getting you confused. But wait a minute, you just said that the earth now belongs to the Lord. You just said that Jesus, what he said, it is finished, that it was finished. So what's going on? Why are we in this place of, of God already proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is among you, the kingdom of God is established on the earth? What's going on? Why do I keep hearing about this stuff in the news? Why do I keep seeing the outpouring of satanic? Why are people getting blown up in Paris? Why are, why are these dark things still happening on the earth? It's a fair question, because the truth is, Satan is squatting on what belongs to God. See, don't forget that during the temptation of Christ, by Satan, he offers Jesus the kingdoms of the earth. He didn't dispute it. That the kingdom of Satan still has the power over men is certainly shown in demonic dep uh, possession, which still exists. It also can be seen in the Antichrist world system that still exists. And it's rearing its ugly head, my friends. The things that are, that are speaking, and, and that's the thing, 
that I think fools so many Christians. We get the honey potion in our ears. Is that it sounds so good. I remember, and I'm going to get out of my, my, my rhythm here just for a second, but I remember when I was in high school, and I studied communism, and I studied socialism and fascism and capitalism and all the isms, and I had to, re- I had to remember over 100 different characteristics over each one. That was my government class, as I recall. And I remember looking and studying go- uh, communism and, and thinking, wow, this is really good stuff. This is is amazing. If this could just happen on the earth, wow, the thought that everyone would be equal, there would no longer be rich men and rich women, there would no longer be poverty on there. I mean, it drew me in. I remember reading the characteristics of getting drawn in. And then as I learned as a Christian, I thought, uh-oh. First of all, then I began to study history and began to see that, man, that comes at a very terrible price. Very terrible and in, for, in order for the kingdom of Satan, which is what it really is, or we'll just call it the kingdom of man, or any other kingdom that does not involve God. Because see, with communism, you can't have religion. It just kind of messes things up. People think they're more special than others. You know, there's this God involved, and it just really messes up the whole deal. Can't have that. I forgot who has said it. I don't know if it was Mao Zedong or Stalin or one of those guys who said that religion was the opiate of the masses. Made him feel good. So you got to get rid of it because they didn't need that to be the hope in any way, shape, or form. That sounds like an antichrist spirit to me. The purpose of the kingdom of darkness is to choke out the purpose of the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, my friends, and to hinder the word of God and its power in people's lives, to remove the word of God from your heart, to remove the word of God from your mind, to remove that Bible from your hands, for anyone to tell you that you can't have that. And we got people in very, very important political positions this day, right now, who are trying to do just that. And so you better wake up, Christian. You better wake up. Because if they try to move the word of God from their hand, from your hand, you're doomed. You are in big trouble. And the reason why more kingdom of God is not flowing out of us is because we don't have enough word in us. You want more kingdom of God? Get more word in you. You want more kingdom operating out of, in, in and through your life? Get more Bible in you. So anyone who tries to take that away from you, you better know that there is a different kingdom at work there and it certainly is. Ah, it rears its head up, only for God to say, okay, I'm going to turn loose my solution. Purpose, as I said, is to choke out the person of the kingdom of God, to, to hinder the word of God and his power in people's lives. The kingdom of God is the reign of God in Christ, destroying all that is hostile to divine rule. Jesus, as a result of his life, his death, and resurrection, was given all authority in heaven and on earth. He purchased back mankind by paying for their sins and was given back dominion over the earth that Adam had lost. So how do we know that he had authority? Oh my gosh. The visual demonstrations of the kingdom of God. Every time that Satan showed up, Jesus snuffed him out. He cast him out. 
He healed, his, he healed the nastiness that he was producing. Signs, what the Bible tells us is signs and wonders, miracles, casting out of deeds. He rose from the dead. He, he rose other people from the dead that we know of, we have testimony of. He overcame every temptation. He was demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness. Now here's a big turning point. I only just got a few minutes to finish, but in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go to that. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all, let's read that part together, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Keep reading. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Folks, Let's get the last part. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Look, folks, the most important part of that verse is at the very top. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now what is he doing? He's given it to us. He said, I got it. Now you go. Isn't it interesting? That's exactly what he did with his disciples. He didn't just set up this little bronze image of himself and say, okay, now look, I'm here, all's fixed, you just come and worship me, and I'll take everything. What did he do? He sent them out two by two to do what he was doing. He gathered them together in a group of 12, and he taught them, look, you see that mountain? I say, speak to that mountain, be picked up and thrown into sea. Do you see that tree? I say, if you just speak to that thing, it'll, it'll, what, you, what you bind in heaven will be bound on the earth. And what you loose in heaven will be loosed on the earth. He's telling them, guys, I'm telling you how this thing works. What I have been doing in your midst, I am now giving to you. Folks, this is indisputable truth. It's indisputable truth. He gave it to us. And who? The church. Everybody say that. The church. And who's the church? It's me. Hey, this building, it's you, it's me. We are the church. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, it says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So little kids, little innocent, helpless people given the kingdom and all that comes with it. The cross sealed the ultimate fate of Satan and his army. But that does not mean the war is over. But for now, he has been left to accomplish as much as he can and to bring as many people with him as he can. And he won't go without a fight. Boy, do we know that. My gosh, if you study history enough and you begin to take what we would call a kingdom worldview, which I encourage you to do when you study history, it's what I do all the time. And people just gnarl their teeth at me. Because I look at history from the point of what we're talking about here, and it all makes sense. It clicks in for us when we realize that what's really going on is darkness and light are surging back and forth in a cosmic battle, and a battle that actually takes place between human beings every single day. And those who rise up, you know, the whole Lord of the Rings was an allegory to describe what was taking place during World War II. A time in history when nobody really knew how that was all going to turn out. We didn't live through that, but many people did. And that's why so many 
by thousands ran to God. And through prayer and fasting, that thing was ultimately won, and the evil forces were defeated. It's not so clear these days, is it? But then again, maybe it's becoming that. So folks, we live in a tension between the already and the not yet. And that's what Christians need to remember. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here through who? The church. Because Jesus took off. He's in heaven. And he said, now you go and baptize. You go and speak in my name. Cast out demons. Lay hands on the sick. Do this, do that. Continue to do what I trained you to do. And it's my job as a pastor. It is my job as a leader of, the, of a local church to tell you, folks, kick butt and take names. Let's go. Get on your knees and pray. Start to fast. Start to look at this world from a kingdom of God point of view. Do not mess around. Do not be brought into this malaise. Do not be thinking in any way, shape, or form that, man, you belong in this little bubble that is outside the scope of Satan's reach. If he's got you there, then he's already got you. If you're not doing anything to destroy darkness today, then, man, you're no threat to him at all. But just imagine what we can do just by a simple prayer, by two or three coming together in his name, by coming together and lifting up. Do you know what took place in the spirit as we worship God this morning? Oh my gosh. Satan's were, uh, demons were squealing in agony. And I, can't, I can't lie, I kind of enjoy the thought. Why? Because I know what those, those nasty beings are doing to people, deceiving people, infecting people, giving them disease, giving them depression, putting drugs into their life, tormenting them with addictions. Man, let them squeal. And let's cast them out wherever they may exist. See, Satan, I'm sorry, Satan is ultimately defeated because of the cross, but not yet destroyed. So, why does the church exist? We started that question and we finish here. In Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul made it clear. And I just shared with you this morning why that is so. Ephesians 3.10, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It's our job is to constantly remind him the game is up for you. You are being cast out wherever the kingdom of God goes, wherever Christians rise up and begin speaking in Jesus' name. Whenever we begin to believe what the Bible actually says, Satan must flee. It says all we have to do is resist him, and he must flee. So if he's around, there's not a whole lot of resisting going on. We're here to enforce and carry out the rule of God on the earth. The church is the vehicle that advances the kingdom of God, my friends. We are it. We are God's plan to restore the earth to its original order. There is no political philosophy. There is no, there is no teaching. There is no organization. There is no government. There is nothing except the kingdom of God. And that is the only world order that should ever exist. And I'm, I'm afraid to tell you this, that it will not happen until Jesus comes again. So if you think there's anything else, if you're buying, you're investing, you're, you're putting your hope in anything else, my friend, stop it. 
Because there's only one kingdom. One true kingdom. One everlasting kingdom. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Finally, to finish. Live godly lives. Be the message. That's where you can start. Don't participate in the works of darkness. You're on the wrong team. I mean, wouldn't that be a bummer if you're on the football team and a guy just before you say hut jumps on the other side? <laughs> Down. Say, hey, what? John, what are you doing over there? And that's exactly what happens, Christians, when we don't show up for church. That's exactly what happens when we call a prayer meeting and you don't show. That's exactly what happens when you allow yourself to be drawn into pornography and addiction. That's exactly what happens. Now, thankfully, by the grace of God, we can be brought back in. Man, all we have to do is reach across that line and say, grab John by the face mask and pull him back over. Dude, you got the colors for our team. All right? Be the message in your marriage, with your children, your work ethic, your speech, how we handle things, all of these things that I have preached on within the last couple of months. Prayer. That's another thing to do. Prayer in spiritual warfare. Don't just say, Lord, please, somehow work this out. What are you doing, man? That's whining and calling it prayer. No, man, you get on your knees and say, Lord, right now, I bind the work of the enemy who's trying to confuse me, trying to bring darkness into my family, trying to bring addiction, and trying to bring the... I just will not have it. And I don't care who you are. A five-year-old can do that. And they often do. And then intentional outreach, man. Reach for people. Love on people. Be a part of church-wide events when we get involved so that we can impact the city together. Yeah, man, it does feel so overwhelming. But man, there is power in numbers. And of course, the Bible tells us it only has to be two or three. But you can't do it by yourself. So we're going to have that ATK event coming up. And we're going to continue over the course of this next year to do some things where we help ourselves become the church that God wants us to be, okay? It's not all about just doing a religious service on Sunday. Man, if you're into that, I'm sorry you're in the wrong place, okay? I'm just not going to do that. Change is good, unsettling. Sometimes God lets unsettling things come to our life because he's trying to break up some things inside you. He's trying to wake us up and see, man, you're in a rut, And it's time for you to wake up and see that you do not live in this malaise of of this world system. You're not caught up in that. You belong to something bigger and greater. And if you're going to be on the winning side, then you need to take your part. You need to play hard. You need to give it your all. Amen?